Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. December edition of the Sports Rivals. That's Ernie. I'm Monty. Together, we're ready to talk the world of sports. Mm -hmm. And Ernie, I think right now, the dominant discussion, of course, we'll talk some NFL a little bit later on, some NBA towards the end. But first, there are two dominant topics, at least where you and I are concerned. The first is the World Cup. Yep. The second is the college football playoff, which was announced today. Let's first start with the World Cup. Okay. Um, Let's start with the USA. They made it into the next round. They faced the Netherlands. They were the first match of the, the knockout round, and uh, it didn't go really well. They played hard. Mm -hmm. Three critical defensive errors leading to all three Netherlands goals. The U.S. goes home 3-1 to the Netherlands. Yeah, I mean, other than those three glaring mistakes, they played well, in my opinion. I mean, really... This came down to execution. I think land. I I I think Christian Pulisic's uh, missed opportunity in the tenth minute. Uh, if that turned, if if he was able to execute that, that would have changed the pace of the game, in my opinion. I really thought that the U.S. as has been in most of the matches, their matches at this World Cup, they uh, took control of that first half, and then the second half, it just. It just slipped away. That gut punch at towards the ending of the second half, where you just didn't mark your guy, you know. And it's it's, it's hard to blame Des because he's been he's had a terrific World Cup, but you're I I know in the back of his head, okay, he's thinking, okay, we probably only got thirty seconds left. Nothing is gonna happen in these thirty seconds. He lets his man go by. Boom! That second goal goes in right at. The ending of the first half, which, in my opinion, uh, took a lot of air out of the balloon for the U.S. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think the Netherlands didn't have a whole lot of shots, but all of their shots were perfectly worked. And then nice, easy, really, finishes. But the first goal, Tyler Adams doesn't get back, lets the guy sit yeah. there in the middle of the zone, takes an easy cross and puts it behind the net. He... Definitely should have been able to get back and, and stop that one. You mentioned the second goal. Des let the guy go free. It's almost the exact same play. Different guy that made the finish. And then in the last one, that one was hand. probably the most egregious. He was waving his hand for yeah, five seconds. <laughs> that outside back was so lonely. He was screaming, waving his hand. And the ball still was able to be crossed for a one-time finish to make it 3-1. Right after the U.S. had scored you know, their goal to make it 2-1, right. you feel like they had all of the energy and the momentum and the Netherlands took it immediately back. I agree with you, though. I think overall the U.S. can be very proud. I was proud of their effort. They made some mistakes, but they never gave up. They kept going. They have to, they'll continue to develop, but to me, they are too small. 
you know, they need to find a better striker. Right. They need to find a little bit more height. We were getting corner after corner after corner after corner, but there's really no one there to finish a corner because we're all tiny. And uh, the Netherlands had the same center back, Virgil, who's been there forever, clearing out almost every single corner because we have no one that can match him. Yeah. So we have to get some height. I know there was one guy left off the roster that you believe could have provided that height. Yeah, Pepe. He could have done it. Haji Wright is 6'4". He's tall, but Haji Wright is not known as that that type of uh, player where he... He really, he really doesn't use his height in the game. So, I mean, he was playing the nine position. He should have been that type of guy, but he doesn't. He He's one of those tall for nothing guys. I mean, I hate to say that. He, the guy's only 24 years old. Maybe in four years when he, he reaches his prime at 28, uh, he changes. But, yeah, I... I can guarantee you, if Ricardo Pepe was in there, he'd be attacking. That guy throws his body around, just like how Pulisic did, you know, in the third uh, game of, I mean, the, yeah, the third batch of the qualifying rounds. So, but we're talking about the guys who made mistakes. We're, we're, we're all young, you know. Uh, Tyler Adams is 23. Uh, Serginio Des is 22. I mean, geez, all these guys, when they come back, they should be in their prime. What I really liked was when uh, Gio Reyna came in along with uh, Brendan Aronson. Those two looked like uh, dynamic. They really played well off of each other. I think that that tandem combined with uh, Pulisic and maybe even if Pippikin squeezes his way in there as a sub or, or, or even find his way in there, I think they can find their scoring from there, but uh, ball ball halter uh, will have to figure that out. I think the return. I mean, look at this guys: uh, Yunus Musa, twenty; Gio Reyna, twenty; Joe Scally, who we did not see in this tournament, is nineteen. Uh, Brendan Aronson, twenty. Brendan has a brother who plays on the U nineteen team, who's supposed to be one of the better players. We might see him in the next World Cup, and again, he's only. He's uh, 19. Des, as I mentioned, 22. Josh Sargent is 22. Uh, Jesus Ferreira, who I had uh, not kind words to say. That guy's still only 21. Uh, you, you get the thing. McKenney, 24. Tyler Adams, 23. Anthony Robinson is the elderly statesman out of everybody I mentioned. He's only 25. But, I mean, really, Matt Turner... He's going to be fighting for his job, I believe, in the next one because Stefan, who was supposed to have been the goalie, other than uh, his, uh, I guess, his most recent play in the qualifying uh, matches leading up to the World Cup, weren't the greatest, but he'll certainly be in the picture battling Matt Turner. Matt Turner, 28, and Stefan, 27. So, guys, when they come to America, or at least to our part uh, of the world, next World Cup, I expect them to at least to get into the Elite Eight. No, I think this year, I think just making the knockout round was was a success. I mean, their their group was loaded with uh, quality teams. Yes. So the fact that they were able to make the knockout round, I think, was great. Uh, you alluded to the fact that it, the World Cup is in the Americas the next time. Yeah. Um, 
that's certainly going to be exciting. The, the fans, the crowd should be uh, just a factor. I would expect them to advance past the round of 16 the next time. So let's kind of recap just really quickly overall the groups uh, as it relates to how we predicted. Group A ended up being the Netherlands and Senegal. That's kind of like what we expected in that group. Group B, England 1, US 2. That's kind of what we expected. Group C, Argentina 1 and Poland 2. That's what we expected. Group D, France and Denmark is what we had. Australia surprisingly made it and gave Argentina all they could handle there. Yeah. Group E is where the big upset was, where Japan wins the group. Uh, Spain comes in second and Germany is eliminated. That was my winner. <laughs> that was Ernie's champ out in the in the group stage. Group F, similarly. I mean, we both had Belgium, a top 10 team, and Croatia. Belgium doesn't make it. Morocco wins the wins the, the pool. Croatia coming in second. That was a surprise. Group G, Brazil and Switzerland, we had both of them. And then Group H, another surprise. Portugal um, winning the group, but Korea making it. And my Uruguay, who I thought was the best team coming out of South America, eliminated yeah. in the group stage. So you had, of the top 10 favorites, at least by betting lines, you had Denmark, Belgium, Germany, and Uruguay all eliminated in the, in the group stage. So... The second round started, you know, we talked about the Netherlands beating the U.S. It really seems like the cream is kind of rising to the top. Argentina beat Australia, although they had to hang on for dear yeah. life there. And then today, two pretty convincing victories. France, uh, France wins 3-0 over Poland, and then England wins 3-0 as well. Um, so the number one seeds, the top players in the group kind of raising up, and you got four number ones advancing into the quarterfinals the rest is going to happen the rest of this week it'll be interesting to see can japan and korea that advance would, that, that would be that would be like one of the biggest upsets in world cup well this is the first time in in world cup i believe in history and if not it's decades since there have been three asian teams with japan korea and australia considered an asian team mm -hmm. and two african teams with senegal and morocco as well yeah so you typically have all these european teams but we already talked about belgium germany and the like being eliminated or a lot of south american teams but they're all gone other than brazil and argentina so mm -hmm. it makes for a you know it's probably better for the world of soccer to have it more spread out like this i can imagine what's happening right now in japan and korea the excitement we saw what was happening with australia as the entire country was watching at four o'clock in the morning when they advanced out of the group phase and the country went bananas yeah i would bet the socceroos from us down under making it and they really gave, they they gave Argentina all they could handle. I mean, it really looked like Argentina was going to run away with that game. I mean, spectacular goal from Messi and his assist on the second one. And after that, I thought, okay, okay here comes the thunder. I mean, it's, it's going to come down hard. Australia fought back, fought back, narrow. To, in my opinion, Argentina gave their fans a heart attack yeah i mean as much as i uh, right now if i had to pick a team i'm cheering for with the u.s out it would be messy because i'm a huge messy fan in argentina as well as my family from portugal <laughs> but i think i think argentina's 
going out in the next round. Me I mean, too. I see Netherlands is a more complete team, uh, especially with uh, Di Maria out for Argentina. Um, I see that England-France, if you guys remember from the preview, I had that as my final, not knowing how this would line up. It's now quarter, it's a quarterfinal, quarter. and that is going to be a barn burner. So, Ernie, let's preview the next couple of days' actions and get your thoughts. Um, first, we've got Morocco and Spain. I would expect Spain to prevail there. Yeah, me too. And then you've got um, Japan against Croatia. I would expect Modric and the Croatians to beat Japan there. Me too. Um, Croatia, as you guys remember, was the runner-up in the 2018 to France. I think that's going to happen. And then you have Brazil. Ruben is Neymar is going to play. We'll see how, how active he is. Yeah. But I, I agree. I think uh, Brazil really doesn't need him against the Korean Republic. I expect Brazil to win there. Portugal, Switzerland could be interesting because yeah. I don't think that this is the best Portuguese team, um, especially when you're relying on a really old Christian Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Switzerland could pull that upset there, although go, 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 the Pereira clan yeah. in Portugal. Yeah, I mean, he, he's getting up there and so is Messi, but he is still a top 10 player in the world, in my opinion. Yeah, he is. I mean, he, he's still a great player. So we'll see if this trend of the cream rising to the top does happen. If it does happen, then we're going to be looking at Spain, Croatia, Brazil, and Portugal advancing to the next round. And then basically you'd have all number one seeds other than Belgium. Yeah, and with that, as it came out in, re- in regards to uh, the, the uh, group play, it's not going to happen, folks. There's going to be an upset. Just where and when is, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen in, in uh, you know, these opening 16, the the first 16 knockout rounds? Two, uh, four matches have already been playing, so we got to wait for the remaining four. But that, to me, that, uh, that second round after that, the quarterfinals, that's where you're, it's going to get really exciting, in my opinion. And there's a lot of people in Hawaii that are big Jap- Japan fans and will be cheering for them. One being Alan Mia, who's fully cheering for Japan <laughs> in the World Cup. So I know he'll be glued to the TV when Japan takes, right, takes to the pitch uh, earlier this week. So, okay, Ernie. And again, this is Ernie Imanti. We are the sports rivals. Let's transition now to the college football playoff. So, interesting weekend. First, you had... The fourth-ranked USC Trojans get waxed on Friday by Utah. Utah beating USC for the second time this year. USC jumps out with two quick touchdowns, takes a 17-3 lead. Mm -hmm. Caleb Williams gets hurt and tries to play the game, the rest of the game, one-legged, and it just didn't work out. Utah ends up blowing USC out. Then the next day, TCU-Kansas State in the Big 12 final. TCU falls behind all game, comes back to tie it at the end, only to lose 31-28 in overtime after having two shots from the one-yard line. In overtime, got stopped both times. Kansas State takes the easy way out, kicks the field goal, and advances. So, theoretically, that created opportunities for people that were outside the top four. And this is where the intrigue came in. And this is where Ernie and I have slightly different takes um, on the situation. It comes out today, of course, Georgia's number one. They blew out LSU in the SEC final. Michigan's number two. They ended up blowing out Purdue in the Big Ten final. TCU hangs on to their third spot, and they get the number three seed, and Ohio State becomes the fourth seed. So let's just start there. Your thoughts on those four teams? 
I think they got it correct. <laughs> that's that's just my opinion. If you're an Alabama fan, I'm not an Alabama hater. I love Tua, you know, and and I love more. I lo- you know I love Mika Fitzpatrick. He's an Alabama guy. He's an Alabama. I, I love Najee Harris. He's an Alabama guy. But I don't think a two-loss Alabama team. I don't think a two-loss NCAA team should be in the college football playoffs unless you are the most dominant football team out there and your two losses came within your first four games. Now, if you're on a, if you lost two games and you're on like an eight or nine game winning streak and you're just killing people along the way, I can, I can give you that. But for Alabama, it didn't happen that way. And they had some close calls earlier in which they won. So I'm looking at this, to me, a deserving team that goes undefeated all the way until the last game has a better record, even though I think on a head-to-head matchup, they would be underdogs. They deserve to be, in my opinion, part of the four. See, and this is where I, I disagree. And, and But it's not just, just Ernie's take, because I understand that. I mean, TCU went undefeated in the regular season. They lost uh, a championship game in overtime. They have one loss. I understand them staying in. Uh, Ohio State had one loss to the number two ranked team. I understand them being in. However, the criteria that this committee is supposed to have when picking the four teams is who are the four best teams in the country? Regardless of record, now record does have a psychological impact, of course, and that has to be taken into consideration. But we've seen before some of the smaller schools undefeated left out uh, quite a few times. So it's not all about record. And it's just that if you're going to use that as the criteria, who are the four best teams in the country? I don't think TCU is. I'm happy for them. They had a great season. They're 12 and 1. I'm happy that they're there. But if you're going to use the criteria who's the best teams, you already alluded to that. Neutral field, TCU against many teams, but let's just say Alabama for for the sake of of the argument. TCU would be a double digit underdog easily to Alabama on a neutral field. They'd be a double digit underdog at home against Alabama, I believe. Yeah. Um, I, I, so if the criteria is not being you can they can justify it any way they want. But the bottom line is, if you're going to go by the by the notion of the four best teams, TCU losing opened the door for other people to come in. Um, but I'm happy for them. Yeah. Alabama's had it enough. They had their third championships. They've I been agree. in. I just have a problem with the system that says this is what you're going to do. But that's not what you did. You know, so um, and then even the fact that Ohio State moving up, TCU loses and holds their position. They're not a, the right. conference champ either. And then Ohio State s- stayed there. I was telling Ernie off the air. I was listening to the head of the of the committee, and he said they never really even thought about avoiding the Ohio State Michigan rematch in the semifinals. I call BS on that. Me there too. is no way that you could you could somehow justify TCU lost to Kansas State, Ohio State lost to Michigan. If you're comparing better losses, the Michigan loss is a better loss. Yeah. So there's really no justification other than the fact that none of us wanted to see Ohio State, Michigan again. I right. mean, essentially, that'd be two straight games they played each other as much as you can avoid that. If, it, if they play each other in the finals, so be it. That means they had to have beaten Georgia yeah. and TCU to get there. Um, but what I think... 
bothers me about that part is that I think it does a disservice to Georgia, who's the clear number one team. Okay. I believe they have a harder road now because they're going to have to beat both Ohio State and Michigan while Michigan gets a TCU team where they're going to be double-digit favors against TCU. I think that's for sure. Okay. Uh, and then Georgia. So I think Georgia has the harder road now as the number one seed because they left Ohio State okay. at number four. Okay, I can, I, I can see where you're coming from with that, but it, it, it doesn't fall that way all the time. I mean, we can go back, we can do this again. Uh, we can do this when Miami beat, when, when your Miami Hurricanes beat a Nebraska Cornhuskers team uh, to get that national championship back in the 1990s. And they were double digit underdogs in that game. But your Miami Hurricanes won that game, you know. Because but those are back in the days when they actually it, voted for who won the championship. Right, but but all, all I'm saying is that it doesn't always fall into uh, why we play these games, and we don't just don't, we just don't anoint number one, number two, number three, number four is because you got to play it out. And football is that type of game where you you don't have a wrong ball. It's an old ball. You don't know where it's going to bounce. Things happen. I mean, we can go to basketball where the ball is wrong, and you can put North Carolina State and Georgetown back in the day where they were like almost 20-point favorites in the game. North Carolina State uh, wins that. Villanova, Georgetown, I mean, we could talk about that. You got to play the game. And to me, you have to reward a team that goes through the, which, which goes through the path. Yes, Alabama had the harder. It is not everybody's fault, any particular team's fault, that they're in a weaker conference. Uh... Somewhere throughout that season, if you play out right and you become undefeated, then you deserve the whole. For you Hawaii fans, would you have been pissed if that undefeated Hawaii team did not make it into the Sugar Bowl? Yes, they got blown out by Georgia, but would you have been pissed, or do you think they deserve to at least have a chance? That is where I'm coming from. For to me, if you let in an, a two-loss Alabama team, the way they incurred those two losses sets precedence for a. Next year, what if Alabama's team next year is better than this year's Alabama team, and they lost two lost may had two losses again? Are they do they deserve to be in uh, in in that fourteen playoff? To me, that would that sets precedence for a lot of things. And if they were to win it, uh, we had this uh, uh, talk off the air. When was the last time a two team a two loss team won the national championship? I mean. Uh, very few. If I, I can't remember, but uh, the history is long. I'm sure at least one or two teams have done it yeah. b- before. I think I, 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 off the top of my head, I believe either LSU or Alabama had a 9-2 team that won the national championship in this playoff era. So, I mean, I get it. My point is hopefully this all goes away. The, the Rose Bowl finally acquiesced. Yeah. Hopefully we're going to have a college football playoff 24. in 2024 that will help alleviate some of this. Although we always know if it's 8, number 9 is going to grumble. If it's 12, 13 is going to grumble. If it's 16, 17 is going to grumble. But yeah. I think at the end of the day, especially in football, if you get the top even 12 teams That's an, you, you should have the 12 best teams somebody outside of that would have a hard time winning three times against the top yeah, teams in the country I, I, I agree with you on top of that you put you make it into an 8 12 team turn, to me 8 is good enough uh, 12 makes it even better I, I'd love a 16 team tournament but uh I don't know if that's ever going to happen in my lifetime, but I believe we're going to start at 12, but we'll see. Lines are out. Michigan, a nine and a half point favorite over TCU. Georgia, a six and a half point favorite over Ohio State. 
I think it's going to be Georgia, Michigan. That's what we're looking like yeah. now. Um, and uh, Georgia, Georgia looks pretty good to, to repeat. But you just, it's so hard to repeat. Alabama always looked like they were going to be the dominant team that yeah. would go back-to-back, and they could never do it. So it's going to be quite an accomplishment if Georgia is able to do it. Yeah. But the spreads as it looks right now, Georgia by just under a touchdown and Michigan by nine and a half. All right, Ooh. so let's transition again. Monty, Ernie, we are the sports rivals. Let's talk NFL football. Again, I think the big thing today, injuries. Jimmy Garoppolo carted off the field, Out. broken bone in his, le- in, his, uh, in his left foot. Out for the remainder of the year. Lamar Jackson carted off the field with a knee injury. No word, definitive word on Lamar Jackson's injury, but you're talking about two of the um, favorites in yep. their respective leagues losing their quarterbacks with just a handful of games to play. Yeah. Uh, what kind of an impact is that going to have? Huge. <laughs> yes, but let's let's start with the probably the marquee games of the day in Hawaii. It was Tua versus the 49ers. A lot of 49er fans here in Hawaii and everyone is a Tua fan here in Hawaii. So not the best game for Tua. It started off good. Very first play of the game, 75-yard touchdown, a slant that that Sherfield takes to the house. But after that, it got quite ugly for Tua. Two ugly interceptions and then a fumble to end the game at the end of the game. Yeah, I think the pressure got to Tua. I think he was thinking about his health at certain points. Whether it be his uh, prior injuries coming from Alabama or his most recent concussions of this year, you could tell that he wasn't playing at, at, you know, his normal his normal game with uh, uh, against that uh, vaunted 49er defense. So... Can't blame him. I mean, that defense is is pretty good. I mean, when we were talking off the air, we were looking over how many points they allowed, and you mentioned that if you take out that Kansas City game, uh, they're barely giving up 12 points per yeah. contest. Well, and, and Tua did have a 46-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill in the second half today. That was the first points the 49er defense has given up in the second half of a game in five weeks since their defense got healthy. And I, I, I kind of agree. I think Tua was just not himself today. He was not as accurate. Some of his incompletions, guys were wide open. He had Waddle wide open on a couple of occasions. His second interception, it was a short out, like a 5-10 to 10 yard out. And he throws the ball behind Tyreek Hill, who, and it gets intercepted. He was just not the same. And I think that 49er defense is so good, but so physical he looked like he was playing distracted and, and should I dare to say a little bit scared no, that, that he did not want to get pounded he didn't considering have another what he's already dealt with. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't have Turin Armstead today. His, his, uh, his wonderful left tackle who has been protecting his, his, uh, his left side yeah. for the whole season was out today. Not a good combination when you're dealing with Nick Bosa. He just seemed to be off it got out of hand late. It wasn't really a 37-17 to 17 game, but it did get out of hand late. 49ers prevail 8-4, though they may have lost more than they gained with Garoppolo's injury. I'm not sure how far they're going to go with Brock Purdy at the quarterback because we know with Jimmy G, Mike Shanahan wins 75% of his games. Without Jimmy G, Mike Shanahan wins 37% of his games. He's now going to have to do it without Jimmy G well, then, for the rest of the season. Then, then, then you just basically uh, said it. I mean, they're not going to 
they're going to find it very difficult to, you know, get. I mean, they might sneak into the playoffs. They're not going to get very far without him. Yeah, it seems like that's going to be a struggle. And then the other one was Ernie called it. He had the Bengals as one of his picks plus the two and a half to beat Kansas City All outright. Right. All right. And they did. Joe Burrow does enough. They win 27 to 24. Burrow owns Kansas City. Yeah. That's three consecutive wins, including the AFC Championship game last year. Your thoughts on Burrow and the Bengals now eight and four, red hot heading towards the stretch. You know what? When the Bengals started out slow, uh, I wasn't really too worried I was looking at there was a when they played when they uh, played the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, for their second game uh, they made uh, a comparison to where they were last year and they were exactly where they were last year when they made it to the Super Bowl and they said that Burrow and the rest of his squad looked to be better than they were last year so this does not surprise me uh, if this follows through, I mean, watch out NFL or watch out AFC. The Kansas City uh, Bank, I mean, the Kansas City, the Cincinnati Bengals are they're they're, they're going to be hitting on all cylinders. You better you better have your head on the swivel. They're going to knock you out. I mean, my my Rams. I had bet against the Rams today. I didn't expect them to come close. They played much better than I expected. They took a 23 to 20 lead with a little over, almost three minutes left in the game, only to let the Seahawks score at the end of the game to win 27-23. So I lose that one because by the time I had it at three and a half when we talked to you last week, the spread went to seven <laughs> during the week. So I lose that one. But let's talk a little bit about your Steelers. They got a victory today in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah they did. Uh, sorry, Mariota, he, he's having those late-game jitters. Again, once again, towards the ending of the, last, the week prior, he threw an interception right into the end zone to you know stop that comeback. Uh, this week, he, he does basically the same, except uh, in earlier fashion. Throws an interception on their supposed uh, go-ahead drive for a touchdown. Minka Fitzpatrick picks them off, uh, doesn't run it into the end zone, but brings it all the way back to the four-yard line where the Steelers were able to run out the yeah, pay, basically take a, take a knee. But, uh, you know, the Steelers are playing well. This is their fifth week in a row that they went over for 100 yards rushing, and they're playing better defense. Uh, Kenny Pickett is... Slowly, I mean, not quick, very slowly getting more accustomed to the offense. And I'm looking at the rest of the schedule with uh, Lamar Jackson getting hurt. They've already played Cincinnati twice. You, they still got to play the Browns. And Tomlin may still have his record of 16 years in a row without having a losing season if they can mount some type of winning streak. Now, well, they've already won two in a row. They're at five and seven now. Without Lamar next week, Ravens at home, Pittsburgh's a one-point favorite. Right. You know, so I would think that that's, that's a possibility. Then they go to Carolina. They could win that. That would take them to seven and seven. Then it's the Raiders at home. The Raiders are playing better right now, and yeah. the Raiders seem to give the Steelers fits no matter how good the Steelers That's are. That's true. Um, and then you have the Ravens again, so we'll see what Lamar's situation is like, and then the Browns. So you're right. I mean, it looked bleak at 3-7, and seven, but at 5-7 and seven, with what has happened, 
there's a there's a solid chance that they could go four and, and one exactly. the rest of the way yeah. and go nine and eight and keep his his uh, no losing season in intact. fifteen years intact, which would be which would be quite remarkable yeah. for us Hawaii people. Marcus Mariota has stagnated that whole Atlanta Falcons offense, which is running all over people, which is setting up Marcus for for passing situations has really stagnated. They're not running the ball as effectively as they did. Um, Pitts is out for the year yeah. with knee surgery. That doesn't help. Um, but he's he's kind of stagnated. And I think at this point, at 5-8 and eight now, I think, unfortunately for us Marcus Mariota fans, we could be very close to seeing Desmond Ritter, the rookie out of Cincinnati, get his shot. Because if Atlanta continues to lose, they get a bye next week. So to me, it kind of makes sense that when they come off that bye, we're going to see another quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. I hope I'm wrong. And I think the only reason that you may not do that is if the Bucks keep losing mm-hmm. and keep Atlanta theoretically in this. But um, that's five and eight, and I believe that's four losses in a row for the Falcons, if I'm not mistaken. Could be. So it could be. Um, we'll have to see what happens there. So let's get into our top five. And, and there's a lot of jumbling that could happen. Crazy. I'll go first this time. Okay. Um, I'm going to have the Eagles as my number one team. They rolled Tennessee today, and they yeah. did it in a non-Philadelphia light. They came out throwing the ball all over the place Jalen Hurts four touchdown passes almost 400 yards of offense they rolled them they go to 11 and 1 I've got them at number one number two Dallas Cowboys Um, the Dallas Cowboys have three losses but they just seem so impressive today they squeaked by Indianapolis 54 to 19 (laughs) that game has just ended they had turnovers for the Colts in their last four possessions Dallas took the ball away so Dallas is my number two team at nine and three right after them I'll have believe it or not the Minnesota Vikings. Whoa. Although I'm not sure they're the third best team, again, they're still 10-2. and two. Um, They can't be ahead of Dallas because Dallas blew them out. They can't be ahead of Philadelphia. But if you, if you think about it, Minnesota, my number three team, their only losses are to my number one and my number two. So that's why I have them there. Just ahead of my number four team, the Buffalo Bills. Minnesota did go to Buffalo and beat Buffalo, so they deserve to be ahead of them. Number five will be Kansas City. They lost a tough one to Cincinnati. That Kansas City-Buffalo, they're so close, but Buffalo did go to Kansas City and beat them. So that's my top five. Right outside would be Cincinnati and San Francisco. Before I found out that Garoppolo was out for the year, San Francisco was in my top five. Yeah, I would have But said with that. him out, I cannot put them in there. And at eight and four, Cincinnati still has to do a little bit more to get inside my five. What do you say about your top five? I basically have the same team, just at different orders. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you in regards to Philadelphia. I mean, they did to Tennessee what I thought Tennessee was going to do to them. I thought they were going to take control earlier because <laughs> Philadelphia always starts off slow. And then in the second half, they come back and they win the game. This one... They came out like gangbusters, and not like what you said, the tr- the traditional way of running. They came out passing Devontae Adams, uh, and A.G. Brown just went off, I think, over 200 yards apiece. I mean, over 200 yards combined. Yeah, over 100 yards each, 
but three uh, touchdowns between yeah, them. Yeah, between them. I mean, it w- and that really took Tennessee out of their game. Sorry, guys, that was one of my picks. I, I, I didn't think it was going to happen this way. But if you told me that uh, Jalen Hurts would throw for 380 yards and three touchdowns, I would have. And with like 14 yards of rushing <laughs> in the first half. Exactly. Yeah. I think Miles Sanders had three carries for 11 yards and they had one other carry, and yet they were up. What was the score at halftime? Like 21 7 yeah, or something yeah, along those yeah, lines? Yeah, 21 20. 21-10, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And then Tennessee, they just continued the onslaught in the Tennessee second half. Tennessee didn't score in the second half. But anyways, uh, anyways, Philadelphia, with that performance, is my number one to my number one team. I had to scratch my head really hard on whether I should put the Bills or Dallas in at number two. Dallas having an impressive win today. But they burned me on Thanksgiving. That was another one of my picks. <laughs> and Mike McCarthy... I'm putting your team down by one because you screwed me up by, by going on fourth down and not making not covering the spread on Thanksgiving. Bill, really, those two teams are really, really close. I'm just giving the edge to the Bills right now uh, over Dallas. Bills two, Dallas three. I have Kansas City at number four and Minnesota rounds up my top five. Again, I, I agree with you. They are Their record uh, probably, uh, they should be higher. And, but they are definitely out of those eight one score victories. Yeah, every good. close game they've won this year. Those types of teams, those types of teams tend to have the exact opposite in the remaining games. So, if I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, win five, go five hundred the rest of the season. But for now. You can't knock it. You can't knock their record right now. No, so you can't. You, you can't. So you they, cannot. they round up my number five. But you're exactly right. The rest of the teams following them is such a tight race. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I'm going to be curious to see how San Francisco does with Garoppolo out. Because I said this last week. They have the best top-to-bottom roster in the NFL. But, man, Garoppolo makes a huge difference to that team. So can they take Brock Purdy and advance deep in the playoffs? That's going to be very, very interesting. In order for them to do that, the rest of the team has to stay really, really healthy. Meanwhile, the Bengals just got Jamar Chase back. I believe they're going to continue to get better. They've been doing this the last few weeks without Joe Mixon, who's been out with a concussion. It doesn't seem to be affecting them. P. Ryan had another big game today, 150 total yards for him. Um, They seem to be peaking. I mean, right now... They could be. You had the Bengals winning the Super Bowl. That's still an absolute possibility there. I had Buffalo winning it, so it's still a possibility there as well. So that was our top five picks. I'm curious to see what you guys think. By now, I think those of you that are passionate about your teams probably have strong opinions. So don't forget, you can always hit us up on social media, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. We're always happy to see what you guys think about what we're saying. So let's go to our picks. We've already covered this. We both went one and one. Uh, my Rams did not. My Rams covered the spread, unfortunately, <laughs> costing me a victory there. Um, but then Detroit romped Jacksonville as a one point underdog. Yeah. They won that going away. Ernie lost the Tennessee pick. He won the Bengals pick. So we both go one and one. Ernie, what do you have for um, next week? And gang, for the first time. Ernie and I are going to share one of these picks. We both felt strongly about this pick and we were not 
willing to switch. <laughs> but I'll let Ernie share his top two uh, for next week. Yeah, and we'll talk about that one. That, I mean, that one's going to be Cincinnati, a four-and-a-half-point favorite over the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns getting Deshaun Jackson back. Deshaun Watson. Watson back uh, this week, who did not impress. I mean, it, barely, it, it, it took two defensive... Uh, Plays in order for them to, in my opinion, uh, take control of that game. Uh, without those, I, 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 I probably think they might may, may have even lost that game. Cincinnati, like we said, is hitting on all cylinders. I, P. Ryan is just as good as Mixon. T. Higgins is just as good as Jamar Chase. And you got Joe Burrows. I mean, good luck trying to stop that. Good I, luck. That Okay, that's the one that I agree on. So let me just add a little bit there, and then we'll go to Ernie's second pick. Deshaun Watson looked like he hasn't played in 770 days. I mean, he was very, very rusty. He was so lucky, and the Browns are so lucky that they were playing the Texans that gave them two defensive touchdowns because he really, really struggled. So I would expect that between his first and his second game, he's going to show a little bit of improvement. But I would agree, this is a very important game for Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is going to roll the Browns by double digits. Um, That would be my thought. What is your second pick? My second pick will be Kansas City uh, uh, minus nine. I think they come back with a vengeance. With a vengeance after today's loss. I mean, they're knocking themselves in the head. I mean, again, to lose to the team that you lost in last year's playoffs to to get to go to the Super Bowl, uh, they're having second thoughts about in regards to, boy, how can we get over this hump? How can we get over this hump? And the biggest way to rectify that is to prove to yourself that you're still a uh, Super Bowl contending type of team and there's no other there's no better way to do that to get into your than to just romp just romp your team so take Kansas City against anybody except against Cincinnati yeah they're gonna romp well and that's so they're giving nine points they're at Denver who continues to struggle oh that's another offensively. thing Denver cannot score more than 15 on their good days yeah Kansas City they'll they'll score, score 25 on their easy. bad days yeah in their sleep. So that's, that's a... Denver has no offense. Well, and Kansas City really rebounds off losses. When they lost to the Colts, they came back in a big way. When yeah. they lost to the Bills, they came back in a big way. We in five in a row. So I like that. With my second pick, I am going to go with the Tennessee Titans. I believe they come home. They're going to lick their wounds. Vrabel is a great coach. He'll figure out a way. They're giving three and a half points at home to Jacksonville. I believe Derrick Henry will control it on the ground. I believe that Tennessee will find a way defensively to create havoc and pressure on Lawrence, get a couple of turnovers. I don't think Lawrence is going to do what Jalen Hurts did today. Uh, And I expect Tennessee doesn't usually lose a whole bunch of games in a row. They've lost two in a row now. I think they're going to bounce back against Jacksonville and beat them. So I have Tennessee minus three and a half at home against Jacksonville. Cincinnati minus four and a half at home against the Browns. Ernie agrees on the Cincinnati game and he also has the Chief Lane 9 at Denver. So gang, what this means is we both agree so you should at least one mortgage payment <laughs> on the Bengals. 
So you can have a very, very merry Christmas yeah. when it comes to that. Yeah. Just kidding. If we both agree, chances are Browns will win this game outright <laughs> <laughs> next week. All right, gang. So why don't we transition into the NBA real quick? Um, for the first time all season, I can talk positively about <laughs> yeah. the Lakers. The Lakers, after their victory today over the winners, uh, Wizards, Wizards have now won eight of their last ten. Should have been nine out of ten. They had a 17-point lead. Andrew Nebhard nailed him at the buzzer on a three to lose by one. But Anthony Davis yeah. is playing out of his mind. 55.17 rebounds today. They went to Milwaukee. He was the best player on the floor. Yeah. Even with Giannis playing, um, the Lakers are playing a lot better. Chemistry is coming around. Defensively, they've been playing well. I think the biggest difference is they're not shooting as many threes they're shooting the threes better but they're not shooting as many threes and the turnaround for ad to me came when he stopped shooting threes Mm. and is staying in his comfort zone which is the lane out to 16 17 feet and he is dominating right now so that being said the lakers are still outside the top (laughs) 10 in the west but we're on the right trajectory we're 9 and 12 no, 10 and 12 now. We are almost to 500, yeah. which we haven't seen in a while since before <laughs> President Biden was in office. <laughs> There's really nothing else that I want to say other than that because I want to stick to the positivity of the Lakers playing well. But I want your thoughts on your Celtics, who had another great week this week. They did split with the heat on back to back nights, but they rolled the Nets today. Best record in the NBA. What do you got about your Celtics? Yeah, and and I was looking at that in regards to the Miami Heat. Again, they lost another game in overtime. Really, the Celtics have only lost to one team in regulation in the, the entire season, which is the Chicago Bulls. Uh, you know, the uh, they lost to Chicago twice. Yeah, the Bulls are there are, the, are yeah, like the, the 49ers to the Rams. Exactly, and then <laughs> Cleveland they went overtime twice, and then Miami. Uh, in overtime, so they've been really playing good ball. They even play good ball when Tatum is not playing his best. Uh, I think the MVP chance that he's been hearing uh, have put too much pressure on him. He hasn't been playing his best ball over the last week. He's actually been playing uh, crappy, in my opinion. Jalen Brown has stepped up his game to fill in the void. He's been playing terrific ball. Uh, I would expect him to probably win player of the well maybe not with with AD out there but you know if they keep it to Eastern Conference Western Conference he may he may be at least in the discussion for for player of the week but they they have won their last uh, I think it's 14 out of their last 16 games so there's they just started their uh, six game road trip today at the Nets uh Destroying the Nets, basically, they kind of toy. Then the the Nets started out eleven and two. Then Boston decided to play basketball, had a fourteen zero run to get back in the game, and then the Nets never saw the light of day after that. You know, they basically cruised. Let, let me let me just kind of highlight a little bit about Ernie's um, mindset in terms of expectations. Okay, <laughs> let me just rattle out some stats. This is Jason Tatum's last five games. Against Sacramento, he had, I got to put my glasses on, he had 30 points, 8 rebounds on 59% shooting and 90% from the line. 
against Charlotte. 35 points on 54% shooting and three rebounds, three assists. Miami, 49 points, 11 rebounds on 60% shooting and 70% from three. Then the stinker. Friday night, he went. He had 14 points on 12 rebounds. He shot only 27% from the line, missed all his three-pointers. And then today, 29 points, 11 rebounds on 53% field goals, 50% from three, perfect from the line. That's somebody who is struggling. He should struggle his way to the Los Angeles Lakers. No, not, not him. I said, I, I said, t- I said, was that Tatum stats? Yeah, that was Tatum stats the last five games. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's Ernie's remembering the loss. <laughs> See, the victories are so common now that when they lose, we focus on that loss. And he sucked against the Heat on Friday. There's he no did. doubt about that. He sucked on the Heat. And <laughs> he's getting his points from the line. I mean, to me, I mean, he's not sharing the ball. He's not facilitating as much as he should be. If you watch Jason Tatum as much as I watch Jason Tatum, this is, yeah, he's he, his sucking is somebody else's good game. But Jalen Brown has definitely outplayed him and picked up the slack over those last five games. You know, you guys all know that Ernie, and, and doesn't he sound amazing? He sounds so, I mean, it's been almost a month now since the stroke, and you really cannot tell unless we bring it up. But he's recovered to the point where I can harass him now. I can pounce on something that I thought would be fun to pounce on. Um but yeah, Jason Tatum sucks. So the last five games, he's only averaging 37 points on 53% shooting. <laughs> All kidding aside, Boston continues to roll offensively. They continue to dominate. Uh, today, maybe they weren't what they have been. They only shot 43% from the field, but they're still shooting 40% from three. They look like, and, and as a Laker fan, it's painful to say, but they really look like the best team. I have Milwaukee. I had said Milwaukee would come out. I'm not sure if it's just getting, they got to incorporate um, everyone back into the lineup, but they have not played well since their 9-0 start. I mean, they are, what, 500 since then. And Boston from day one has been consistent. Like you alluded to, when they lose, they lose in overtime. And when they win, they're usually rolling teams. So to me, they are the clear best team in the NBA as we head into the Christmas season. (laughs) Way to call me out, Monty, on that one. I got to stick up for the Dukies. I got to stick up for the Dukie guys. Because Jason Tatum has a special place in my memory because the Lakers drafted Lonzo Ball instead of Jason Tatum a few years ago. We could have had Jason Tatum, but no, we took Lonzo (laughs) Ball instead. Oh my gosh! <laughs> hey, you could have you could have drafted Markel Fultz, <laughs> but he was gone. Or so we probably would have. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You're right. He was the number one pick. <laughs> All right, gang. We're gonna transition. We're about 50 minutes in. I'm gonna transition to Ernie for his closing thought. Okay, my closing thought is gonna we're gonna head back into football. Uh, I was just so proud that the you know the Hawaii boys uh, represented. Are being represented in the NFL uh, are doing what they're doing, which is which is terrific. And I just noticed that the quarterbacks coming out of that uh, the Tua's class. I mean, if you remember when Tua was playing in his junior year at uh, 
uh, Alabama, uh, the cry was tank for Tua, tank for Tua, tank for Tua. Now, Tua was not the number one pick. I mean, he, he went number five, obviously, to the Miami Dolphins. Joe Burrow came out number one in that class, and he's also doing well. But then you look, then you look further down. Who else was in that draft class? And then you you look at uh, Justin Herbert from uh, the Chargers, and then you look at Jalen Hurts with uh, you know the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, you can even include Jordan Love, you know, without uh, Aaron Rodgers over there, you know. He was uh, actually drafted higher than uh, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts on top yeah. of that. So, so I was looking at, wow, that's a pretty good draft pack, draft class. So I went back and I, and I looked through, I Googled up who were who, what were the top uh, quarterback draft classes in in history, and I just wanted to do a, a comparison contrast, and it, it came out with the number one, at least, but based upon the historians. That the number one draft class was 1983, which included Dan Marino and John John El- Elway, John Elway. Jim, Kelly, Jim Kelly, three Hall of Famers. Yeah, and just to throw in Matt Schaub, as he was uh, the, the Atlanta Falcon. Uh, not to mention Eric Dickerson, although he did not play quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, but Marino, we all know Marino then. Elway was just Super Bowl champ in, for two, basically two teams. Multiple time MVP from that class, so I can see that. Now the second class that came out of there was the 2004 uh, quarterback class, which included uh, Peyton Manning's brother Eli, uh, Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers from the Chargers again, and my guy Ben Roethlisberger, pick number eleven uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that quarterback class actually had the most Super Bowl. Appearance. Although they never had an MVP from the class, they had the most Super Bowl wins and the most Super Bowl appearances out of that particular draft class. So I'm looking at this year's class. They've already had one, you know, and, and we're this is only in year three for them. They've already had one Super Bowl appearance. And to me, if you look at the teams that they're on, they look like they're going to have long success, not like a flash in a pan. I mean, they look like... The Cincinnati Bengals are, are up and coming. They're going to be a problem for a long time. The Miami Dolphins with Tua Tungavailoa, they're going to be around for a long time. That's another young team, you know, in good cap space right now. Uh, I think we mentioned, both Monty and myself mentioned this, that the uh, uh, L.A. Chargers on paper look like to be one of the better teams out there. So Justin Herbert should, at least on paper, be on a good team for a long time. And Jalen Hurts, he's on our number one ranked team for both me and Monty, you know, for the season. And he just had a 308-yard game. And we're not talking about uh, Jordan Love yet. And we still have to see what his career will will uh, uh, turn out to be. But we're ta- at least for those four guys, there's a lot of potential that if, when we look back maybe 10 years from now, was this or could this have been, could this be the best quarterback draft class in the NFL? Now, the 83 class, of course, with Elway and Marino, that's hard to beat. I mean, you got, and Jim Kelly, I'm sorry. 
three Hall of Famers. I think you're gonna get you're gonna get three Hall of Famers from the 2004 draft class. I think eventually, yes. Yeah, I mean Roethlisberger will get in within maybe a first ballot, second. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get in by the second ballot. Uh, same thing with Rivers and and, and Manning. I, mean, I, I think Manning and Roethlisberger probably will because they have Super Bowl titles. I think Rivers is going to have to wait because his stats were just an accumulation, but right. he never really got even to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but his stats, actually, you're right. His stats are going to be the uh, the deciding factor because his stats were actually better than the other two than quarterback. The other two, yep. Yeah, as far as, uh, you know, passing With yards. With the ugliest throwing motion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, Although Jalen Hurts kind of comes from that school. His throwing <laughs> motion is not the best. But, I, you know, I mean, it's interesting to kind of even discuss that when you go back to you know the it just because of our age i think that 83 classes right when we were you know oh i was a freshman in high school you were a freshman in college (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just kidding but we were just starting high school so that's when we're really paying attention to things and you had elway who went two and five in two and three and five super bowl appearances then you have Jim Kelly, who went 0 for 4, 4, four years in a row. So that's nine appearances. And then Marino got to the Super Bowl Once. in his second season yeah. and never got back. So they had two championships, 10 total Super Bowl appearances. And clearly, Elway is regarded as one of the 5 or 10, and so is Marino, greatest quarterbacks of all time. So that is a high standing. I think the Eli, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers you know threesome there i think the if eli had not beaten tom brady and won those two super bowls i don't even know if he's a hall of famer yeah i think he's a hall of famer because of those two wins and in those both wins he outplayed tom brady yeah so he outplayed tom, or tom brady would have nine super bowls yeah. by now you know so that's the case ben roethlisberger had both wins early on so early on he was a bigger winner he had the two super bowl wins one loss and then over time, he was a stat accumulator, although they didn't have any more Super Bowls. So I think Ben Roethlisberger, of the three, had the big best overall career. career. So when we take a look at this class now, there's so many variables. I think Joe Burrow could go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time if he can stay healthy. Because he has both the talent and the it to be successful and get to multiple Super Bowls. The only problem is Mahomes is still young and the two of them are going to be and Josh Allen are going to be battling for years to come. But I think Burrow has that kind of Hall of Fame ability. The question marks become Tua and his health. He's had an amazing season this year, but can he stay healthy? He has the catastrophic hip injury from college. He missed his ankles are shot. The concussion earlier this year. He's tiny. But if he can stay healthy with McDaniel as his coach and those weapons, hopefully he can run off a bunch of stats going forward. Justin Herbert has regressed a little bit this year. Granted, they have dealt with a lot of injuries. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they have more injuries this year than his rookie year. Maybe his rookie year, he caught everybody by surprise. They weren't really keen on him. Now he has the injuries and they're keen on him. So he's not at that quite that level. Although of the three, his throwing motion his athletic ability his height his arm strength his mobility is probably the best of the three but i think right now he's kind of reverted back jalen hurts is just a flat-out winner he has the least true nfl quarterback talent Mm -hmm. at least throwing 
Yet he's 11 and 1. His team is playing out of this mind. He's in the top 3 or 4 right now for the for the MVP got to be with the stats that he's starting to accumulate on a team that's 11 and 1. It'll be really interesting to see if they can continue to develop. As a Hawaii person, I hope Tua stays healthy and can have a long productive career. I think he has the talent to do so. The question mark will be his health. Justin Herbert and Burrow have the talent to be all-time great type players. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I just wonder if the league catches up to him at some point in time. Um, But we'll have to see. But he flat-out wins. He's a hard worker. He's smart. He wins. Any team he plays on wins. That that says something about his character, his leadership ability, and the ability to galvanize. That's pretty interesting. I mean, comparing him to the 83 class, it's way too soon to do that. But I could easily see this class. I think the the 04 class is very comparable to this class. I think, like we said, Eli Manning would not be a Hall of Famer had he not won two Super Bowls. I think Roethlisberger would. Um, Philip Rivers probably will because of stat accumulation. I have a feeling this group will fall in line somewhere around that with... Burrow most likely getting the Super Bowls, but who knows? Maybe Tua can get that with that loaded team developing. The Chargers, I don't know. They have the talent to win, but with today's loss to the Raiders, they're now under 500, and it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs again. Yeah. And you've been a critical of them being too good to be this mediocre. Exactly. And in my yeah, and, and my other reason in regards to this is that you know we are in a passing league right now, so the stats will be there for Maybe all five of them. I mean, we're talking about even Jordan Love not being in this equation. If Aaron Rodgers leaves, and um, right now it, he doesn't look like a, a starting NFL quarterback, but uh, that's you know that hasn't played out yet. So we have to wait and see in regards to that uh, how that pans out. But re- but if two of those four quarterbacks that we talked about. Uh, exceed multiple years after this, I think within five years, there's going to be comparisons. I mean, they're not even, in my opinion, they're not even going to be halfway through their NFL career. And I believe that at that point in time, they're going to be compared not only to the 2004 class, but the 1983 class. Well, there's no doubt that their their stat accumulation should be able to really exactly. blow past some of the others because it's a different world it where is. everything is designed to make passing successful. So yeah. they should be able to dwarf the stats of even Dan Marino, yes. where everybody has flown past him. When oh, he yeah. retired, it was like no one's going to touch him. Now he's like, uh, he may be outside the top 10 now yeah. in, in, in yards. So pretty interesting. What do you guys think? Do you agree with Ernie? Does this class of 2020 have the potential to exceed 2004 and blasphemy the 1983 <laughs> class let us know sports rivals podcast on ig and facebook sports rivals pod on twitter and don't forget we're happy to be a part of the hawaii sports radio network family tough weekend for the for that family with usc losing on friday although dallas bounced back today and the clippers the lakers are catching the clippers <laughs> don't look now but the lakers are catching the clippers but every morning kool and alan mia 8 a.m to 9 a.m on 760 a.m or 95. 
93.1 FM on your radio dial on Wake Up in the Den. They do a fantastic job covering local sports, national sports, and a lot of World Cup talk because we all know Kule played center back for the Chaminade Silver Swords. All right, She's a Kool-Aid. defender by heart, and she was on Twitter nailing the U.S. men for having crappy touches on the ball. And they did. You know, when you compare their touches to the Netherlands touches, they don't have a a really good touch. As as soccer folks, we all say the most important touch is the The first first touch. touch. I mean, even that Haji Wright one, when he touched the ball in the six, he should have been able to score and he almost walked the ball out of bounds. But we digress. Again, check out Kule and Allen, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. weekday mornings on Wake Up in the Den. And until next week, for Ernie, I'm Monty. We're the sports rivals and we're out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Hey.